0: Well, welcome to the journey. Um, We have a special guest with us today, um, Mallory Sage. And uh, she is um, she is uh, uh, an educator and works in um, the local uh, our local school district, works in the primary um, in primary education at Whitehead Elementary School. But uh, she also has a bigger vision than just uh, just being in the classroom. So uh, Mallory, welcome to the journey.
1: Thank you. So,
0: so as I start with everyone uh, who comes on the show, I always kind of just want to start with uh, what does Mallory do for fun when she has an opportunity to have fun? Um,
1: my life is busy. I'm a mom, a wife, a teacher, and also a doctoral student. So <laughs> those moments are... Uh, a few and far between, I feel like, in this stage of life. But um, there's a lot of small moments throughout the day. I really enjoy time with my family. Um, before I hopped on this podcast, I was playing Monopoly with my two kids, my four-year-old and my six-year-old. Um, so even in those small, you know, we get an hour here and there. We try to make the most of that family time. Um And then those rare moments where I have time on my own, I really enjoy reading. Um, I'm reading a lot for my doctoral program. However, I also enjoy uh, a good mystery book. Mm -hmm. I enjoy the Crime Junkie podcast. uh, That kind of, I don't know, my brain, I think is always going. So those type of stories of trying to figure things out, I'm very drawn to. Um, I enjoy hiking. We go to Rock Cut quite a bit, being in nature. Um, And I don't know if you can count coffee as a passion or a hobby, but I do.
0: It's a you
1: necessity should. in, in yeah. our house, but I also enjoy just kind of the art of coffee. So okay. uh, my husband Matt and I really enjoy a good cup of coffee and uh, yeah, just spending time together.
0: Nice, nice. And and uh, I should know this because Matt used to work for me here as a as a as a therapist. How long have you and Matt been together?
1: Um, we've been married eleven years, least like twelve years. This summer uh, oh. we met in college.
0: Okay, okay. Yeah. And where'd you, and where'd you guys go to school?
1: Eastern Illinois University. So oh, nice. we met though. Um, we both attended Rock Valley first. Uh, but Matt is two years older than I am, so we weren't there at the same time. But we had a lot of mutual friends. So then, when we both transferred uh, to Eastern, those mutual friends kind of set us up. And we're like, Oh, you're driving four hours to continue your education. Here's someone that, uh, from the Rockford area you could get to know. So, yeah, so it worked out
0: perfect. And what and what high school did you go to?
1: I went to Hadaniga.
0: Okay. Okay. And when you were at Hananiga or, or even before that middle school, was there, um, as far as like extracurricular activities, as far as like sports or the arts or clubs or anything, what, what were you, who was the younger Mallory? What was she into? Um, I'm
1: trying to think I, my dad was in the military when I was a kid. So we moved around a lot. Um, and then eventually settled in the Roscoe area. So I was in Roscoe from about seventh grade, then through high school and my family's still in the area. Um, I probably wasn't. I enjoyed school. I, I I like learning. Um, I wasn't involved overly in too many extracurriculars, extracurriculars um, but I was very involved with my friends. I had a really good group of friends. So, um, I was also very involved in my church youth group. So, a lot of those friends there was overlap there. Um, so yeah, I wasn't. I'm definitely not athletic. I do enjoy art. Um, I enjoy theater. I wasn't. I that was kind of more of a side thing than you know mm-hmm. a big in high school but a lot of when I think back into my high school years friends is the main thing I think of
0: I've always been
1: a very relational person so I think that comes out kind of naturally throughout uh different seasons of my my life
0: so far sure sure so you and and you went to school at Eastern to be to be a teacher to be an educator Mm -hmm. okay yeah and and tell us a little bit about what led uh, what led to the, you know what led you to the teaching profession to be an educator.
1: Um, so I had wanted to be a teacher really since probably about third grade. Um, I had a really excellent third grade teacher, and um, I feel like a lot of teachers. That's a very similar story. You have a teacher that really impacted you, and that helps you kind of envision yourself in that profession. Um, and so teaching had kind of always been a goal, kind of all through um, high school for nonprofit uh, business. I also just really have a heart for helping people and problem solving. And um, I've always had kind of a lot of natural leadership tendencies. So throughout high school, I was kind of going back and forth between teaching and not for profit business. Um, and I landed in teaching because honestly, it felt like the safer career path of the two <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. and uh, you always need more teachers. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah. So then I started college, like my freshman year, I did my associates at Rock Valley, which was a really great experience. Um, and then transferred into Eastern and got my bachelor's in elementary education and really enjoyed it right away. I got to do clinical hours in classrooms throughout my degree and I really connected with kids, enjoyed it. Um, I always knew I liked younger kids, Uh, middle school and high schoolers probably scare me a little bit. So elementary kind of was always my passion. Um, And then in college, I also had the opportunity to do a couple of humanitarian trips during the summer. Uh, one summer, I went to Kenya, um, and I got to teach in a, a really rural um, school, and I also got to see the schools in um, the slums of Nai- Nairobi, and that was just really eye-opening to my kind of white privilege that I had grown up in that I didn't realize I had, and then, you know, you go into this environment where you're surrounded by just the really beautiful, resilient spirit of people. Um and I learned so much through traveling overseas and seeing how other people live. Um, and then Matt and I went to Haiti also together in college um, when we were dating. And I think those experiences in college really started to change and shape me. Um, I'd always had this happen- this passion for helping people, but I think at that time it was more about me, like a little bit of that savior complex of like I can go in and make a difference. Mm-hmm. Um, And then through really like working with people and learning more about myself, I realized like I'm learning probably more from the people that I'm working with than I am even helping them. And so um, and I see that in the classroom all the time. I learned so much from my students every day. So there's a really kind of symbiotic relationship um, Mm -hmm. within any sort of profession, I think, where you're helping other people.
0: Yeah, no, I hundred percent, hundred percent agree, and I know that has definitely been my journey as as before an educator and then going into clinical work and and now doing leadership development. It's very much that that symbiotic um, that symbiotic relationship that go that goes back and forth, and um, so I know exactly. I I can definitely identify with what you're talking about, and and I also can identify with. I, I think for me. Early on, it was—I don't know if it was—it a, a, definitely wasn't a confidence. So that, so if there did come across as an arrogance, it was—it was more like that was the cover-up, right? It was—it was more of um, thinking that I needed to help because I was accepting the call to go and do it. And because I didn't want to not accept the call. And, yeah. and and I was too young and didn't know that it was really about the system. And it was really about, you know, the community. And, and it was really, you know, I, I was too young to know, not just chronologically, but maturity wise, to know yeah. that it's, it's, it is actually that symbiotic relationship. It's not, it's not top down helping. it's, yeah walking with helping.
1: Yeah. And it's it's empathy. Um yeah. I recently read this book by Gary Howard and he describes empathy as as feeling with somebody. And I that was really beautiful to me. Like usually empathy I hear is like walking in someone else's shoes or you're trying to like put yourself in their life and where in reality empathy is, you know, what you're talking about, feeling with someone and being there in it um and both growing throughout it. And it never changes. I think that's something that I'm learning that that journey is never over, you know, that's going to continue the rest of my life. Yeah.
0: Yeah, exactly. So, um, so you're at Whitehead Elementary School in the Rockford Public School District, and, and which is, you know, one of the larger school districts in the state of Illinois. And mm-hmm. um, there's a lot of, um, you know, there's a lot of diversity within, within, you know, RPS, uh you know, two, 205. And so uh, you're at Whitehead Elementary right now. Have you always been at Whitehead or have you been at other schools?
1: Um, I started out my teaching career. And when I graduated, um, I think my goal was to teach in more of a smaller community, like a Rascal Rockton type community, because that's where I graduated from. And honestly, at that time, I felt like that was an easier path to take. Um, not that teaching is easy anywhere, but You know, it comes with different challenges based on the area that you're working in. Um, But being a newly graduated young teacher, uh, you don't have you have to really fight for a job. Mm -hmm. (laughs) There is especially when I started teaching about 10 years ago, like it was a lot right now. There's a big teacher shortage. um, But then it was really hard to find teaching jobs. So um, I was applying everywhere and quickly realized that although I was confident in my teaching abilities, coming out of college with no experience didn't mean that, you know, people looking at your application were confident in your abilities. So I was just applying everywhere and kind of got to the point that somewhere where it was like, I'm going to take whatever job I'm handed um, at this point in my career. So I actually started teaching my first two years. I taught at a charter school on the far west side of Rockford. I taught fourth grade. Um, and that was a really good experience. It was a very eye opening experience. Um, I worked with a very diverse group of kids, um, it's amazing group of kids. And I learned again, continued to kind of chip down, uh, like, and becoming more aware of my own positionality and my own privilege and my own background and how that impacts me in my day to day life. Um, and again, I learned so much from my students. And I went in to teaching with. Um, probably a lot of assumptions just based on my own upbringing of the way things should be like what homework looks like and parents helping with homework, um, what behavior in a classroom looks like and should look like based on, you know, my own narrow scope, um, So when I landed in a classroom on the west side of Rockford, it was very different than what I had been used to. Um, And I quickly began to adapt and change and learn from my students. Um, And it was a very, very humbling experience. Um, One of my first lessons I learned is at that school, there was a homework policy. It was expected that all students would turn in homework kind of no matter what. Um, And I had one student that very rarely ever turned his homework in. And so I made this assumption that the parents weren't involved in that. Well, there's probably not anyone helping him at home. But then when the fall conferences rolled around, um, his mom came in for conferences and we started discussing his homework. And she, I found out, was working two jobs and going to college and trying to get her degree. And she was this beautiful lady working literally all day long, you know, sleeping four hours at night. And so her kids would go to grandma's after school and grandma was elderly. And so uh, she was kind of in this survival mode of life and doing what she needed to for her family. And it was such it was just like a total gut punch realizing that. And like, I've judged this woman for the last month, assuming that she wasn't involved in her child's education. Where in reality, she's doing more than I was, you know, she was doing everything she needed to help her family um, survive and to continue to better herself. And uh, and that was a huge turning point for me very quickly in my career that I learned that I need to not judge uh, my students or their families or the neighborhood or wherever I'm at in that moment. Um, there are, you know, a nuance of stories and things that are going on. And my job is to be there and just to teach my students, love my students, hold that space for them, um, and to learn from them without, you know, judging or, you know, doing that. So that was really eye-opening. And so I just continued to learn. And I really Really loved that group of students there um, and really connected with them. And I learned also through that school that relationship building was the most important thing. I was very relational. I'm very relational just by nature. Um, And so I got to know my students on a personal level and I saw... That making a huge difference in their behavior and in their academics like as I built a relationship with them they were more willing to trust me to listen to me to work together and then to be open to learning um, and so that's also another lesson that has carried with me is that relationship building um so I spent two years there the kids were amazing um but the it wasn't a good fit for me personally as a school just in how it was run um And so I jumped into public schools. And so I landed at Whitehead and I've been at Whitehead for eight years now. Um, And I've been very fortunate because often in public schools, teachers get bounced from grade to classroom to school based on where they need teachers. But the time that I came into Whitehead, it just it was kind of this perfect timing that I've been in the same grade in the same classroom at the same school um, this past eight years. So that's been a really good experience for me. Whitehead is the second largest school in Rockford. We have 643 students on our roster right now. Um, We have a bilingual program at Whitehead. Um, And this school started very small when I first went there. It was about half the size and they were building an addition onto the school. And now we're this huge school. But I'm really proud of Whitehead because we're doing, with administrative support and help, um, we have so much support for our students. We have social workers, we have a counselor, a behavioral interventionist. We're running um, a lot of programming to support our students. So I'm really thankful Whitehead is where I landed because it's a really supportive school.
0: Sure, sure. You know, before we jump farther into the, into Whitehead and the, and the things that you're bringing to Whitehead outside of the third grade classroom, um, I want to go, you said something that caught my attention. So I've been Uh, spending a little bit of time you know trying to take a deeper dive into this word empathy and Mm -hmm. and and like many words it it go oh yeah yeah I know what that means and and but do I really know what that means right and you said something earlier about um feeling with someone right Mm -hmm. and so it and so that along with and I think that's that's the challenge right feeling where they're at, but then also being aware of what's the story I'm telling myself about their situation, right? That judgment. Mm-hmm. And, and if, if I judge them as being less than, or like you said about the parents being this way, or they're just not trying or, or whatever it may be, that's, that's one way, right? Or, or if I judge them is that I'm going to be the savior, Um, right so that'll get me in just as much trouble right (laughs) so so uh so tell me or tell us what are some things that you do to kind of check yourself when you you fall into when you're aware of that you're placing some kind of judgment on it maybe not that they're less than but maybe that you got to fight harder for or or or, and and so e- well I don't know about you but I know for me it's so easy for me to find myself in situations where I may be working harder than the person because I'm not letting them help mm-hmm. themselves <laughs> because yeah. because I, I want to rescue or I want to do whatever so it's, how do you how do you check yourself from not making either of those two extreme judgments
1: yeah and that's hard <laughs> that's a hard thing because it's something I i feel like you're not necessarily taught like going through my learning to be a teacher there's no class that talks about that and so that came through a lot of firsthand experience um, with that awareness and then i got my master's degree about five years ago in urban education through rockford university and within that program they did embed uh practices to help you kind of check your bias and your awareness um and we did a lot of reading. I was exposed to a lot of new books and genres um, that kind of helped me really think through and walk through my own thinking. Um, one big assignment that we had to do for that program was um, we had to do this like historical autobiography where we had guiding questions where we really deeply looked at like, what did your household look like? What religion were you brought up in? How did that impact your day-to-day life? What about your gender? What were things about your gender that came out positively or negatively? Um, And so doing that really deep dive into my own personal history was really, really liberating and challenging um, and kind of was a jumping off point. I had been slowly kind of getting there just through natural experiences, but that very intentional assignment in that um, master's program really kind of jumped off the rest of it. Um, and then since then, I, I love reading. I read a lot of books. Um, Brené Brown is one of my favorites. Um, also Richard Rohr is another favorite. Um, so kind of always reading, finding good authors that I resonate with that are going to challenge me in my thinking. Um, is important. Um, I've also tried to uh, just expand. I'm looking at my bookshelf, looking at, are my books diverse? Am I reading diverse authors or am I reading from people that look like me and come from a similar worldview as myself? So I've tried to consciously uh, look at what I'm reading and who I'm reading um, to kind of diversify that more so that, you know, I'm learning from a wide range of people. Um, And then it is really helpful being married to a therapist. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, and Matt is also on this, has been on this very similar journey over, you know, the course of our marriage of just becoming more aware and more open and uh, kind of learning about ourselves and how we connect with the world. So it's a natural conversation that Matt and I have often, um, which is really great to have him as like a safe person to, to go to and say like, I'm getting in this shame cycle. Like Renee Brown talks about uh, because I made this assumption or because this was my reaction in this moment. And I, I don't like the way that felt and kind of like talking through that and then letting it go and moving on, I guess. So my suggestion for other people would be to find that safe person, whether it's your spouse or a friend or a mentor, um, Having someone to go to, I think, is really important because when we try to do it on our own, we can just get in this cycle of uh, either being overly confident in our own ability or being too hard on ourselves um, and not giving ourselves enough grace. So journeying with someone else, I think, is very important.
0: Sure. No, I would agree. You know, a hundred percent. And and sometimes it needs to be someone like a professional, right? That you actually pay to go see. And yeah. and sometimes it can be a mentor, right? And uh and then obviously if if you have the type of relationship with your partner. Then that then that also equally works out, at least with an aspect of it, right? At least there's a there's a level of accountability um, where where we can practice those things. And I'm uh, I just finished reading for the second time. Listen to the audio version of Dare to Lead um mm-hmm. and um and I just am about halfway through rising strong right now okay. so I uh, read that one
1: yet.
0: yeah and so I'm I I have a deep appreciation for Brene's work as well and I think I think probably for me the 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 work that she's doing regarding the not only is she a phenomenal storyteller but she's she tells her stories and bases it out of her research, but the real, real life experiences. So I, I I've enjoyed that aspect of it as well. So, um, so kind of fast forwarding to, uh, where you're at right now, you, you mentioned that you're getting your doctorate and, Mm -hmm. and I know that when you approached me, you know, six months ago or nine months ago, um, you know, there's an aspect of your doctorate where you're doing some research at Whitehead School. So tell us a little bit, what what is your doctorate? Where are you doing your doctorate through? um, What's uh, in in the, your, with your dissertation, what, uh, tell us a little bit about that work that, that research that you're doing.
1: Okay. Yeah. I, um, getting my master's degree was a great experience. And so towards the end of that, I remember my professor kind of asking the class, like, is anyone considering going on for their doctorate. And that was not on my radar at the time. Um, but when she mentioned it, something just kind of clicked where I was like, Oh, like I could do that. Like, I, I don't know. It just felt like the next step for me. Um, I feel like whatever that was, if that was God's plan or like, you know, pushing me towards that or, um, but I was finishing my master's, and I just felt like at that point, I, I wasn't done. And so I started looking into doctoral programs. Um, and that was actually a little bit challenging, being a teacher. You don't see a lot of teachers practicing in the classroom, working on a higher degree. Um, a lot will step out of the classroom and go move you know, away to school and do a full-time program or um, jump into like a leadership role. A lot of um, doctoral programs in education... <coughs> Have this emphasis on becoming like a superintendent, which is not my <laughs> mm-hmm. it's not something I ever want to do. So as I was researching programs, I was looking for ones that highlighted teacher voice because I think teacher voice is very underutilized in education as a whole. Um a lot of people making policy decisions have very little time they've spent in the classroom or they haven't been in a classroom for like 15 years and they're making these huge sweeping policy changes. So teacher voice Um, was really important to me in a program. Um, And then I'm also very passionate about social, emotional learning and mental health. And so I wanted the ability to continue to learn that and kind of do some of my own research around that. Um, And then I wanted a program that was a cohort style my master's was done as a cohort and having the ability to go through each of my classes with the same individual was a really kind of beautiful experience. Um, so that landed me at the University of Northern Colorado. Um, it's an online program, but I do go through it with the same cohort of people. Um, and that's been a wonderful experience. Some of my, I've made some very deep friendships and connections, um, with some really amazing women through that program. And then every summer I go out to Colorado for, um, like a four day long seminar where we get to be together in person. Um, And then with my cohort, we've done some research conferences and other things we get to be together in person. So that program in itself, um, when I decided to go for it, I did set kind of some standards for myself that I knew in order to be successful, um, I need these things out of this program. Um, And so I think that was an important step for me. So I'm happy where I landed. Um, And then with that, My research focus on social emotional learning and mental health really has come out of my time in the classroom. Um, And again, this is why I think teachers should be consulted more uh, with things because I've noticed over my years teaching. that social emotional learning is really important. Kids need to know that their emotions are okay. Kids need to know that they can feel multiple emotions at the same time. Kids need to know that although they're feeling angry, there might be something deeper than that anger and like, what is that? Um, And then kids need to know like coping skills for when they're feeling those emotions. And so in order for classrooms to be a safe place and for kids to be in a headspace to learn, I think we need to be addressing their social emotional needs. I really strongly feel that that foundation of social emotional is what then, you know, leads to everything else. If you don't have that foundation first, all the other learning that's going to happen is going to be very challenging. Um, and then with that, looking at uh, a big part of my master's degree was this focus on equity. And so that's important to me. I think all students deserve a quality education. And that's education in the sense of like, you know, math and reading and writing. But it's also all the services that go into the school. And. Um, and when I look at equity, I often look at what is this school over here? What do they have that like maybe my school doesn't have um, that's allowing these kids to be more successful than this other school or even outside of school? What are services or things that these kids have access to that my students maybe win it or other you know students in other schools wouldn't? So when it comes to mental health, um, you know, a lot of research shows, especially students with high trauma in their background, uh, the best way to process that trauma and kind of help, um, slow down or eliminate the long-term, you know, really detrimental effects of trauma is counseling. And that's something that kids just don't have access to. Um, there's so many barriers to receiving quality counseling. So insurance is a huge part of that. Um, and then, you know, Medicaid does, uh, offer, Um, counseling services, but there aren't as many places that take Medicaid. And if they do, it's typically this revolving door of counselors. So a child, you know, might see a counselor a few times and then they're bounced over to somebody new and there's incredibly long wait lists. Um, And then also transportation, you know, families need to be able to drive to a counseling agency. They need the time to wait during the appointment to drive back and forth that waiting time. Um, So there's just a lot of things at play that can make receiving consistent quality counseling, very challenging for families. Um, So one thing that I thought was like, why aren't we providing this in schools? Like if if this is the one place kids are at every day, this is the commonality of school. Like, I think there's more that we could be doing to support our students with counseling and other services because this is the one place they all are. And counseling is interesting because I think a lot of people assume that there is counseling in school already. I think they think that because you hear of high school counselors, um, but their role is more academic advising than true like clinical counseling. Um, Although they're trained to do that counseling, there's just not time in a schedule. A high school counselor has this tremendous caseload. And so they're often referring students out. Um, And then at the elementary level, at least in this area, we don't have counselors. We have social workers. My school has a full-time social worker and she's amazing, but her day is filled with IEP meetings and working with students with IEPs. And then occasionally if there's a student in crisis, she can step in to help for a little bit and then refer out. But we just don't have a system in place for students to regularly receive um, clinical counseling services. So, and that's not new. I'm not the first teacher to say we need counselors in school. So I can't take credit for that idea. That's, you know, years and years of people saying that that's something that we need. Um, But my, position being a doctoral student has allowed me to use that position to um, just have a little more leeway, I guess, in getting some of that stuff because then I have this background that I can study. Um, So that led me, my first year in the program, it's a four-year doctoral program, I'm two years in. So my first year um, on top of all my classes, my big research focus was trauma and students, social, emotional learning, and then the history of school counseling. Cause I felt like it was important to know what that looks like in our history in order, if I'm saying we need to implement it now. Um, And then through all that research, a big thing that I noticed is that schools that have done research on providing counseling have had really positive results most of them were pretty short-term, like a six-week program where a counselor would be brought in and then they would leave. Um, So there wasn't a lot of research out there with any sort of long-term programming. Um, And at that point, I was very fixated on the counselor, needing the counselor. But as I was conducting research and reading all these research articles, I found that the most successful interventions were actually multi-tiered and involved the entire school. So not just placing a counselor in an office, pulling kids, it really had the whole school embodying this mental health approach to how we do education. Um, so with that, I started to develop, um, I called it the Nurture Program. So I worked with, I did a lot of the research, but then I sat down with my principal, assistant principal, and a few other staff members at Whitehead who are also passionate about, um, you know, trauma-informed care and social-emotional learning. And they were such a great resource. So it might it started within this college class, and then we kind of sat down together, and they helped me add to this program um, to make it better. So I tailored the program with an MTSS model. Um, so people who aren't in education, it stands for multi-tier of intervention. And so the bottom rung is like a whole school or a whole classroom, like what the majority of students will benefit from. So for the NURTURE program, um, the bottom tier for Whitehead is uh, we brought in trauma-informed care training for our staff. So um, the ROE has come in once, they're coming in again, and they're doing whole staff training. Um, So that way teachers and staff members, we can just be more aware of having a trauma-informed approach. Um, At Whitehead, we've added calm corners to every classroom. um, So a place where students can sit and calm down and have some coping strategies. Um, Our principal has spent money buying more books and resources for classrooms um, so that we have more social emotional tools within our classrooms. So that has impacted really the whole school and um, kind of talking about how we handle situations with the trauma informed approach. Um, And then that works for a lot of kids and that's tier one but that doesn't work for all kids. So then tier two is kind of, if you think of it like a pyramid, the next step up in that pyramid um, is where we're doing group counseling. So as teachers, we have a referral process and we fill out a form um, for both academics but also behavior and social skills. And if we're noticing a student is having a hard time behaviorally, we can refer them um, to a team that looks at if they need group counseling. And I'm just really humbled because so many people at Whitehead jumped in on this program once they saw what we were doing. So. Um, our school social worker, our school psychologist, our school psychologist has a clinical student, our behavioral interventionist, um, our parent liaison. We have like six adults and our counselor um, who's contracted through KP counseling. Uh, we have six adults that pull kids twice a week um, to work on some very specific skills. So we have a group on like anger management. We have a group on, you know, how to make friends or conflict resolution or um, grief. And so um, and then the counselor and the psychologist and the social worker, they take more of those heavy uh, topics that you need more training for. And then they work with like four or five kids to do group activities and talk about these different social skills um, to help them succeed. And those are, I think we do eight eight weeks, eight, or eight to 10 weeks of those groups, and then we'll start a new set of groups. Um, so that's been really great to get students into those groups for that extra set of support. And then the very top tier, the third tier of the nurture program is the clinical counselor in our school. So we contract, um, Annie is her name. She's amazing. Uh, she has an office right at Whitehead, and she sees, I think she's seen like 28 kids a week at this point. And she's pulling out kids from um, classrooms that again, are identified by teachers, they're referred, there's a process for it. And we have permission from the parents. Um, and then she's conducting like clinical counseling sessions, like they would have out in the community, but here at school in her office. Um, And I think a big thing in education is sometimes we don't trust everybody to do their job. Like everything's very micromanaged. So when we did this nurture program and we sat down with Annie, um, we told her right off the bat, like you are the counselor. We don't know enough about this. What you're doing in your office is your call. Like we trust you to work with these students. So as a school we're identifying the students, but then we're trusting Annie. to do what she's trained to do, and she's amazing. And um, it's too soon to have a lot of like super definitive results, but we are seeing um, students are growing. Uh, and as a staff as a whole, we're really happy with the program and the support that's being provided. Um, and so for my dissertation, so now that the program's up and running, the school's running it. Um, I'm kind of hands off at that, this point. So then that way I can really just research and study the program and the effects. Um, but my principal and everyone else is running it and my principal paid for it. She's out of she found money in her whitehead budget to pay for the counselor, which was amazing. Um, and then the district had to sign off on us doing that, because right now a counselor is not like an approved position at schools in the elementary level. Um, but they signed off and they're allowing us to try this as a three year pilot program um so over the next three years i will look at it deeply um i'm gonna looking at the school-wide data but also individual data of the students who are being seen especially for that individual counseling piece so i want to look at their academics i want to look at their behavior data like referrals suspensions those type of things um and i want to look also at their attendance because i think mental health also plays into attendance in schools um and their just overall success in the classroom, because my hope is that as we better support a student's mental health needs, we will hopefully see a positive impact in their success as a student overall. Um, so that will be my dissertation is deeply studying this over the next three years and looking to see if it's making a difference.
0: Wow, it's it sounds uh it's it sounds very exciting um about being able to do it now you uh are coming up on halfway through um with it begin to at least finishing up now in the second semester of your second of your second year as if I'm if I'm calculating that correctly
1: it's my second year as a doctoral student but first year of the nurture program
0: oh okay yeah. gotcha yeah. okay so so when Annie came on in the fall that that was. So we're one semester down, starting the second semester now, and and there's two and a half years left to go of the program that's already been approved.
1: Yes, and we felt like the three years was an important time, one, because I'll be, uh, in that third year of the program, I'll be writing my dissertation at that point. So timing for me worked out, because I'll be writing and hopefully finishing up my degree by the end of the, shortly after the pilot program's done. But three years also felt like a good amount of time because six months to a year just isn't long enough to see yeah. if there's actual a good effect. And that that's a big gap in the research right now is that there just aren't a lot of long term studies. So we're hoping I'm hoping that will help fill a gap a little bit and hopefully ignite future research other places.
0: Sure. Yeah. Um, it, it just happened to be I, right now with the ROE, they're asking me to do you know, more and more talks on um embedding the social emotional learning within the classroom. Uh, yeah. I w- I was in uh, Lena school district last week um talking about uh for the secondary um at the secondary level how, how to go about doing that and um and it is um you know in, in some schools and some educators they're they're not aware at all what SEL is I mean yeah. they've heard the term but they don't really know what it is. Um yeah. and then you have others <clears throat> understandably so because there's so many so much demand on the educators it's like oh geez here's another thing that I have to do Um, so so it's I think kind of like what you're talking about similar to my approach is is that let's talk about what you probably already are doing and how do how do we start expanding on that and maybe not just for individualized students but how you may be doing it overall or how you know really good teachers already have a way and have always had a way and when when building the culture of their classroom they're already doing the things that we are encouraging in SEL learning anyways Um and they just did It was long before they called it SEL and mm-hmm. um and but it's it's for those other ones that how to, how to expand on that. And then also how to, um, you know, how to, how to, how to help those ones that may, it may not come as natural, especially when we're talking about those tier one interventions, uh, where the tier two, like you said, the group counseling or what Annie does in tier three, that's, uh, you know, obviously that's, that's collaborating with those, um, with those professionals that know how to do that, but at that tier one, that's the the school wide initiatives. So, uh, so I give you I, I give you a ton of credit for uh, identifying what you're passionate about, and like you said, uh, it's been a it sounds very much like it's been an unfolding as you've been on your journey as mm-hmm. as a as a lifelong learner uh, of your of yourself. That these things have unfolded, and um, and you have had the courage to start pursuing them. And, and as they would say, uh, when we're following our passion, um, doors start opening up that may not have opened up if we wouldn't have been. So uh, it sounds very much like that's what's happening for you.
1: Yeah, it's exciting. And it's I think I've let go of the plan at this point, which is also helpful. I'm a planner by nature. And so I'm always kind of Towards the next goal or the next thing. But over the last couple of years, I've learned to like, let go and just let be be. And so even with this whole nurture program and whatever comes next, uh, I don't know what will come next, but I'm trying my best to live in the moment and be open to whatever comes.
0: Sure, sure. So, um, so Mallory, as we are wrapping up, and if there is either, let's say, a parent or a grandparent or an educator or someone, um, want to know more about what you're doing or reach out to you about ideas, what's the best way for them to get a hold of you?
1: Um, Probably my school email is the best. So it's mallory.sage at rps205.com. And I'm at Whitehead Elementary. So if if they look up Whitehead um, in my name, it should pop up fairly easily there. Um, And they can also talk to, I'm very fortunate that this work has been speared through the doctoral program I'm in, but I'm not in it alone. My principal, Paula Randall, is amazing and has supported in all of that. Um, And there's several other staff members there at Whitehead as well that has been really supportive of this work. So, um, yeah, so from an administrative perspective, if they want to hear from, you know, principal perspective of how we're doing this, um, Paula Randall is also a great resource for that.
0: Perfect. Perfect. So uh, as we're wrapping up, is there anything that you would want any of the listeners to know um, about your journey, about what you've discovered about yourself or uh, just through your observations, any, any last pieces that you would want to leave the audience with?
1: Um, I think just what I said a minute ago of kind of letting go and not trying to plan your journey too much Um I think honestly, ten years ago, if you would have told me that I would still be teaching and pursuing a doctoral degree and uh, kind of really wanting to look at policy, you know, changes as a career and making this better, I think I would have called you crazy. My plan ten years ago was to teach for a few years and then be a stay-at-home mom and maybe go back to the classroom when my kids were older, and and that was not the trajectory at all. And um, and letting go of what I thought was going to be was really healthy for me and for my family. And um, I'm really grateful for where I'm at right now. And also, I'm very aware that um, I'm 33. I've got a lot of the journey left. So I want to keep applying this kind of living in the moment and being open to what's next um, as I continue down the road
0: perfect mallory well thank you again for being on the on the show today and being on the journey and actually uh you, you know how you're doing your life is really why uh we call this the journey and that it's it's less about the outcome or the destination is more about us discovering us along our along our path so thank you again um for anyone listening um that may have either been inspired or encouraged um Definitely reach out to Mallory, um, make some uh, comments in the in the section or pass this episode on to someone else, because we never know when someone may uh, need a little bit of encouragement, a little bit of hope or possibility, uh, just as uh, Mallory has talked about her story. So uh, as always, thank you for uh, being with us today, and I look forward to being with you next week.